0: we're in our second week of a series called Living Thankfully, and in this series we're trying to expand our understanding and practice of of gratitude beyond uh, just one day, right, at at the end of this month. Um, And and beyond that even, um, beyond a, a whole month, like many are trying to do, like on social media, where they're, you know, every day saying something that they're grateful for or thankful for, we want to push even beyond that into a more biblical understanding uh, of of thankfulness that approaches gratitude really as a spiritual discipline. And oftentimes we don't think of it as that. Uh, We think of it as just sort of a response. But it is a spiritual discipline that, that is one of the marks of a spiritually mature person um, as I have have said already in this series, uh, the spiritual discipline of gratitude actually helps to create other character uh, qualities as we grow into it uh, so like last Sunday we uh, we looked at how generos- or gratitude uh, becomes sort of the spark uh, in the in the engine of generosity um, and, and hopefully we, we saw that clearly. Uh, this morning we're going to be looking at how gratitude is a way for us to, to resist uh, anxiety and despair uh, that is so prevalent in our world today uh, and move toward a place of deep, abiding joy. Who who wouldn't want that? Huh? Uh, we're going to, so we're going to be looking in our Bibles uh, today at, at what God has to say about gratitude and joy and how they're connected. Uh, as we do that, I'll have the verses up on the screen. You can follow along that way. A lot of people like to follow along in a paper Bible. And if you're here this morning, and you don't have a paper Bible with you. Our ushers are coming down the aisle right now. And uh, if you'll just signal them somehow, they'd be happy to put one in your hand. And if you don't uh, have uh, a Bible at home, please consider taking this one uh, as our gift to you. We're going to be in chapter 4 of Paul's letter to the Philippians uh, this morning. That's on page 948 of those Bibles that the ushers just handed out. But uh, just before we open our Bibles together, let's pray one more time. Lord, we're, we're thankful this morning uh, that we can hear from you. We don't... We don't pray to or worship a God that doesn't hear us or doesn't speak to us because you both hear and speak. You speak to us uh, through these words that you have inspired. And so we ask this morning then that you would open our ears to rightly hear what you have to say to us. And as always, we pray, Lord, that it would find good soil in our hearts and and take root there and change us from the inside out. So speak your truth to us, help us to listen and understand. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, in these uh, four relatively short chapters of uh, Philippians, Paul mentions joy or rejoicing 15 different times. It's it's quite a lot, really. Uh, We're going to be looking at a section that contains one of the most, I think, probably familiar uh, verses about joy. That's in Philippians 4, beginning at verse 4, which says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your gentle graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is worthy of respect, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if something is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about these things, and what you learned and received and heard and saw in me, do those things, and the God of peace will be with you. Amen. Joy. What exactly is joy? Uh, I find it a little easier uh, to describe joy than really to define it, right? And and all of us can probably think of times uh, that we have felt joy. Um, uh, June fifth, nineteen seventy seven. I experienced joy. Uh, the Portland Trailblazers won the NBA championship, <laughs> and I was there at the Memorial Coliseum. I was sixteen years old. Uh, it was Game Six of the series. For those of you who, who don't know and don't remember this, um, game six, uh, Portland was ahead in the series three games to two, and with just four seconds left in the game, the Philadelphia 76ers were down by two points, and they had the ball. Uh, they, they inbounded the ball to George McGinnis, who took what should have been just an easy 15-foot jumper, and he missed. And Bill Walton went up and he tapped it out to Johnny Davis. The game was over. And, and, and immediately the crowd in the Coliseum went, went crazy. They, they went nuts. And, and not only in the Coliseum, the whole city really just went berserk. Uh, we lived in Oregon City at the time. I-5 wasn't, wasn't there uh, yet. Uh, so we had to travel via McLaughlin Boulevard, uh, 99E, uh, back home. But we couldn't even get there uh, because the whole city was just this traffic jam because p- people just stopped, got out of their cars, and they were dancing. You know, I mean, it, it just was, it was crazy. The, the city of Portland and, and metro area collectively felt joy that day. Maybe for the last time. I I don't know, but that day we did. Uh, Weddings are a time of joy too, right? Uh, I remember standing in front of the church uh, with my groomsmen as Becky came down the aisle with her dad. Gosh, she was beautiful, you know? And uh, I remember I couldn't stop smiling. Uh, My face hurt by the end of that day because... I just, I just was so happy. Um, the birth of a child, or, or for that matter, just being around children, uh, can serve up moments of joy too. Uh, the other day, I, I knew that I was going to be in some difficult meetings, and uh, I had shared that with Becky, and she said, you know what you should do? You should go down to the preschool before your day starts and just get a dose of joy from those little kids. I did it. It helped. You know, just being around kids um, can help bring joy. Um, Strangely enough, I've also experienced joy in a hospital room uh, when someone I've known and loved takes their last breath and passes into the presence of Jesus. Uh, Of course, there's sadness there, uh, but there's also this deep sense of, of gratitude and joy um, grateful for a life well-lived, grateful that I had the privilege of, of knowing this person. Uh, scientists who study brain activity tell us that physiologically what is going on when we experience joy is a release of dopamine into our system. Uh, and that dopamine is is also responsible for Feelings of happiness, euphoria, uh, sexual arousal, the thrill of your team winning the championship. Uh, at, a, at a physiological level, there's not much difference in, in all of those things or the, the other things that I've mentioned. So is that what Paul means when he says rejoice in the Lord or to be joyful? Just Just a big dose of, of dopamine rushing into our brains? I'm thinking not. I, I think he must mean something different, right? You agree? Yes. Okay, good. Most of the, most of the same scientists that, that speak of that instant rush of dopamine also acknowledge that in some people there exists something they refer to as a, as a deep, abiding joy, a character trait that certain people almost seem to float on, right? It just, they're sort of buoyed up by it. And a lot of those scientists uh, can't explain that, but they recognize that it's true. And what's also interesting is that it turns out that what most of us think will make us happy doesn't. Uh, the wealthiest countries in the world have the highest percentages of depression and suicide. Hmm. Turns out that those who have the most apparent reasons for happiness and joy are actually the most miserable people. Again, hmm. Uh, there's a documentary called, it's just called Happy. It, it came out about 10 years ago. You can still find it on Netflix, I think. Um, and that the film takes viewers on a journey from the swamps of Louisiana to the slums of Calcutta in search of what really makes people happy. And what's interesting is it's not stuff. Stuff doesn't make people happy. It's not money or beauty or the lack of problems. So what is it? Uh, In our passage this morning, it's it's important to understand that Paul is writing from prison. Not usually a place that you would think of as having joy, right? He's awaiting trial. The outcome of that trial could result in his execution. Joy. He's writing to uh, a group of, of Christians in Philippi. Uh, who were under intense persecution. Um, So it seems Paul's got to be talking about something more than just this rush of dopamine. It has to be something that has the ability to to sustain people even in suffering, even in persecution. So let's see if we can unpack this and figure out what he means. Uh, Again, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always, again I say, Rejoice. Um, if you've been around church much, you're probably familiar with this verse. You've probably sung songs that are settings of this verse. You might be thinking of those songs right now, because I just got that little earworm in there, right? But one of the dangers of becoming very familiar with a verse like this is we can we can actually miss the richness and depth of what's there. Uh, so, I want to look carefully here at what the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write to these Philippian Christians. So first of all, rejoice not surprisingly is a is a word that means to be full of joy okay uh, so more than just a feeling of joy, rejoice implies being so full of joy that it it leaks out of you it It, it splashes out on those around you. It's a a fullness of joy, right? Uh, Secondly, we're told that the context of that rejoicing is in the Lord. That's the reason for our rejoicing. That's what we just sang here a few moments ago. Our rejoicing is to be in the Lord or in Christ. Um, I say in Christ because later on in this chapter, Paul tells us that God will supply all of our needs according to the riches in Christ Jesus. In Colossians 2 9, we learn that the fullness of God is realized or embodied in Jesus. So all of God's goodness and, and grace culminates in the person of Christ. So for Paul, Christian joy, that, that kind of joy that can be seen in the followers of Jesus as a result of the Holy Spirit's indwelling, the kind of joy that becomes a character trait of his followers is anchored always in the goodness and grace of God found in Jesus. That's really important for us to understand. Our joy is found in the goodness and grace of God in Jesus. Theologian Philip Clayton says it this way. and I I really love this. I don't have it on the screen, but uh, God's goodness and grace are the water in which our joy swims. God's goodness and grace are the water in which our joy swims. Uh, The next thing we need to be aware of in these verses is that uh, joy or rejoicing comes as a command. It's a command. And it's not just a command, but it's a repeated command. And, And where we see this in the Bible, where we see a command repeated or a statement repeated, it adds strength, importance uh, emphasis to the command. So uh, last week we saw that generosity is a way that we prove that we have understood the gospel, that there really can be no such thing as a stingy Christian. I don't know if you remember me saying that, um, this week I, I want to say that that uh, joy in the Lord is not an optional accessory for the Christian. It's a command uh, for for all Christians. It's an expected character quality in those whom the Spirit of God is producing fruit. So joy is a command. Here's something else. Paul is using a plural tense when he makes this command. So another way to read this is, I command all of you always to be overflowing with joy in the Lord together. Okay? All of y'all always rejoice in the Lord together. Um, And and what's interesting is that in the 15 different times that Paul talks about joy or rejoicing in the book of Philippians, it's always, always in the context of community. Um, Which I think sort of points back to what we were learning in our, in our last series on the one another commands. The this, this spiritual formation into the image of Christ happens in Christian community. Rejoicing biblically happens in Christian community. But as we read on, we discover that this kind of joy is not contained or limited to the church community. Uh, community. It, it's intended to be on display for the whole world to see. Verse 5 let your gentle graciousness be known to everyone. Paul seems to be saying here that our joy, based in the goodness and grace of God, creates a kind of gentle graciousness that is to be on display for everyone to see. Everyone. Wherever we go, everyone is supposed to see that we are gentle, gracious people who are full of joy. Do they? Uh, the Barna Research Group has done a lot of polling on this, and uh, their results show that uh, most non Christians describe Christians as judgmental, hypocritical, insensitive, uh, being against more things than they are for, and boring. I don't know if you all know where boring is out in East County. It, it, we used to make jokes about boring Baptist church out there. But I think they changed the name, actually. Um, maybe because of all those jo- jokes. Judgmental, hypocritical, insensitive, being against more things than they are for, boring. What about that? Sounds like joy-filled people who are gentle and gracious, Right? If you're like me, I want to I push back against that and say, hey, I'm different. I'm not like that. Our church isn't like that. Are we? I think we need to take a serious look at that. Let your gentle, gracious joyfulness be known to everyone. So how do we do that? How do we become a community who practice gentle, gracious joy? Well, I think Paul begins to to show us that as we move into verses 6 and 7. He says, Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You see, when I'm focused on my problems... I worry. Anyone else? Come on. (laughs) What Paul is saying here, and I think it's true, is when I become more aware of God's goodness and grace, his, his provision, his care, that he actually is supplying everything I need in Christ, when I'm aware of that, I begin to live in a place a thanksgiving, a place of gratitude, which then leads me to joy. Uh, some of you know the name Brennan Manning. He, uh, he's gone home to be with the Lord, but he was such a gift to the Christian community. Uh, in his book, Ruthless Trust, Manning says this, when someone is aware of God's love for them, the same love that the Father has for Jesus that person is just spontaneously grateful. Cries of thankfulness become the dominant characteristic of the interior life. And the byproduct of gratitude is joy. We're not joyful and then become grateful. We're grateful and that makes us joyful. Let me say that again. We're not joyful and then become grateful. We're grateful and that makes us joyful. You see, when we try to manufacture joy, which is what so many people try to do, even in church, when, when we try to stir up or, or hype people up into happy optimism, when, when we take joy outside of the context of gratitude for God's goodness and his grace, we, we might become joy-ish, But not joyful. And joy-ishness won't sustain us. It it can't. It's not deep enough. It's not it's not dense enough. It it won't float our boat through hard times. It can't. Christian psychologist Robert Emmons has has authored a number of books on the topic of gratitude and joy. Uh, And he agrees with Brennan Manning that gratitude is the primary key to achieving joy. Here are some of the things he's observed in his research. Keeping a gratitude diary for just two weeks produced sustained reductions in perceived stress and depression in healthcare practitioners. Practicing gratitude produced 23% lower levels of stress hormones, cortisol, in patients suffering from anxiety. Writing a letter of gratitude reduced feelings of hopelessness in 88% of suicidal inpatients and increased levels of optimism in 94% of them. It's fascinating. Uh, Emmons' study of this over time suggested that those who regularly practice gratitude experienced a deep, sustained mental outlook of joy. And all of this led Emmons to conclude that joy can, in fact, be cultivated and sustained by the practice of gratitude. And uh, as a believer, he, he sees that Uh, Science and and Scripture are in agreement on this, that the practice of gratitude prunes away negativity, hopelessness, and stress and produces, through the power of the Holy Spirit, this deep, abiding joy. Some of us might be tempted to say something like, yeah, but you don't know how bad my problems are, right? Again, I think it's helpful to remember that Paul wrote this while he sat in prison. And he wrote it to a minority group of Christians who were under intense persecution. And it's into that that he says, don't worry about anything. How does he he say that? And when he says, don't worry, it's not because they're concerned about whether their kid will get into the right school or not, or whether they'll get the promotion at work. How they're going to make ends meet. Things that we often worry about. These Christians in Philippi were worried about getting executed for entertainment's sake at the local arena, which was the practice in many of the Roman colonies. Paul's not... Just saying, uh, you know, come on, be happy. Um, don't worry, be happy, Bobby McFerrin, right? No, oh, there's something much deeper going on here. Uh, Willie Jennings is an African-American theologian and pastor. He's done a lot of work on the theology of joy. Maybe you don't think of theology of joy, uh, but, but he's done a lot of work on this, primarily uh, among oppressed people his own people, but uh, in light of what we know about the Philippian Christians, it would apply there too. Uh, here's some of the things uh, he says about joy. Joy is an act of resistance against all the forces of despair. And he, and he quotes Karl Barth, who says that joy is the defiant Nevertheless, no matter what is going on, joy can be that defiant nevertheless. Nevertheless is, yeah, all this is going on, but. But. Uh, He says joy can be an emotion that sort of catches you unaware, but it is most often a difficult, serious work that becomes a state that then becomes a way of life. How many of us think of joy as difficult, serious work? But it is. And that's the nature of the spiritual disciplines. They're difficult, serious work, but they produce something in us, right? He says, joy is singing a song in a strange land. Uh, This is what Israel had to do when they were in captivity, right? It's what African slaves did as they worked the cotton fields in the South. Singing a song in a strange land. Jennings talks about spaces of joy and how the church must be one of those spaces. Oh, how I hope that as if, if you're new with us this morning, that you walked in and you sensed joy in this place. Like real joy, not just pasted on happiness, but real joy. I hope you did. Jennings says, when you've been in a place of joy, you leave thinking, things are going to be better. We're going to be okay. How can joy do that? It does it because it's anchored in the goodness and grace of God. And that's what should happen every week when we gather together to celebrate the goodness and and grace of God found in Jesus Christ. We should experience joy. We should leave here believing things are going to be okay. All this is going on, yeah. But things are going to be okay, right? So we're commanded to be this community of joy whose gentle graciousness is on display for the whole world to see. We've seen that uh, gratitude and the goodness and and, uh, grace of God and Christ helps to create this deep abiding joy. But Paul understands something about people. He understands that sometimes we can get stuck. We can get so focused on the hard things in life that we miss seeing the good. And so Paul closes this section by giving us a list of things to set our minds on. And they're not just happy, random thoughts, you know, like raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens. It is no. This is Paul's way of saying here's how you cultivate gratitude which then leads to this deep abiding joy. Verse 8, finally brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is worthy of respect, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if something is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. And what you learned and received and heard and saw in me, do those things. And the God of peace will be with you. You see, Paul has commanded this minority band of persecuted Christians to be full of joy, to be gentle and gracious to everyone. He has said, don't worry about anything, but instead be grateful, joyful people. And I, and I think as he's, as he's writing, he, he can hear the pushback. But Paul, you don't understand. And maybe some of you this morning are saying, but pastor, you don't understand. You don't know how hard this is. And so Paul says, look, I know you don't see much truth out there, But when you do, focus on it and be thankful for it. I know you don't see a lot of justice out there, but when you do, join in, celebrate it. Where you see beauty in a a sunrise or a sunset or right now the, the, the vibrant colors in the trees. When you see beauty, soak it in. Be grateful for it. If something is excellent or praiseworthy, praise the positive. Be grateful for it because these things are glimpses of the goodness and grace of God. I don't know if you have seen them that way. They're little glimpses sometimes of the goodness and grace of God. And when you do this, I believe you'll discover that you have actually been growing in your ability to experience deep abiding joy. It's a spiritual discipline. It takes time. Stay at it, and you will become this person of joy who's gentle and and gracious, and people see it. We're going to, here in just a moment, enter into a time of of response in worship, Um, and and I really want to encourage you to let this be a a time for gratitude to, to sort of well up in your hearts. Gratitude that can lead to this kind of joy that we're talking about. Uh, I'm going to invite the worship team to come up and uh, get ready. And, and the rest of you, I'd like, I'd like you to close your eyes and just listen as I speak over you some truths about who you are in Christ. Uh, true things about the goodness and grace of God in Christ. Every one of these is based in Scripture. All of them are evidence of God's goodness and grace in your life. So just close your eyes and listen. You are made in God's image. You are loved by the creator of the universe, and he is proud of you. You are God's child. You are Christ's friend. You are a saint. You have direct access to God through the Holy Spirit. You have been redeemed and forgiven of all your sins. You are being made complete in Christ. You are forever free from condemnation because your life is hidden with Christ in God. You are a citizen of heaven. You can always find grace and mercy to help in any time of need. You are born of God, and the evil one has no claim on you. You are a branch of the true vine, a channel of his life. You have been chosen and appointed to bear fruit. You are God's temple. You are a minister of reconciliation for God. You are God's workmanship, his masterpiece. And you can never, ever, ever be separated from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. So friends, bearing that in mind, I want to invite you to respond back to God in grateful worship. And I I want to take just a moment to explain uh, the background of the song that we're going to sing. Some of you have heard this before. Uh, In the 1800s, there was a successful Christian lawyer in Chicago whose joy was put to the test. Horatio Spafford and his wife had five children. In 1871, their four-year-old son died. Later that year, uh, he lost all of his property investments in the Chicago Fire. In 1873, Spafford's wife and four daughters were sailing from New York to England uh, to be a part of D.L. Moody's evangelistic crusades. And their ship collided with another ship and sank almost immediately and all four of the daughters died. Horatio's wife, Anna, survived and sent him the now-famous telegram, Saved Alone. And shortly afterwards, Spafford traveled to meet his grieving wife in England. And it said that as his own ship passed through the waters where his daughters had died, he was inspired to write the words to this great hymn, Later, Philip Bliss set the words to music and named the tune after the ship that Spafford's family was on. See, Spafford understood that our Christian joy is not anchored in the events of our lives, whether good things or bad things. He understood that our joy is found in understanding who we are in Christ. So whatever difficult things you're facing today, hear me on this, you can choose to set your mind on God's goodness and grace in Christ. And if you will do that, you're on the path to discovering deep, abiding joy.